that, that's life-changing video right there, isn't it? What happens one minute after you die? So last week, we, we, uh, we started this series uh, that we're going to do for three weeks. Next week, we are not doing this series. We do have a guest speaker next week, um, and uh, he is on fire for the Lord, and uh, I think that you're going to enjoy it in the first service. The second service, they don't get a speaker. Because y'all are going to be the church. You're going to go be. You're going to go to church out there. It's going to be awesome in second service. So stay for second service next week. Um, but we will pick up the third week, which is going to be about eternity in heaven. Um, last week we talked about what happens one minute after you die, and uh, I hope that it was encouraging to some people, or at least we got some understanding about some things. Um, and uh, this is a really difficult subject for anyone to take on, and uh, so. Mostly, I'm hoping that this just this series just makes you super intentional about what you do know and how you live your life on this side of eternity. Does that make sense? Cool. Would you all do me a favor and stand to your feet? I'm going to read a verse, and I'd like you guys to read it with me. And, uh, and so anyways, uh, we're going to uh, read a verse, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to get started. Revelations chapter 1, verse 18. It's, Jesus says this. He says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Jesus, would you help? Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Fantastic. So anyways, we are doing a series today, and today's message is um, in eternity in hell, and uh, this is by no means an easy subject. And uh, what is crazy is how many people um, avoid this subject altogether, and so we're going to do our best to try to clear some of, the, some of the air on this. If I do know anything, it's that you and I have one thing in common. We have a lot of questions about eternity. We have a lot of questions about hell specifically. Who goes there? Um, are, will God really send good people to hell? Um, what does this look like? You know, wh- how long will it be? Where is it at? And, uh, there's a lot of questions that many of us have asked as we stand out looking at the stars uh, you know, one night or sitting at the, standing at the beach looking out over the vast God. What? I don't understand. What is happening and what's going to happen and is this really... And these are difficult questions, and I want you to know that it's normal to have questions about these things, but you can find answers to those questions, and they are significant. Um, this has been a very difficult subject for me over the course of my life. I got, I, I, I got saved through asking these kinds of questions. And I want to make sure that we understand, when, when, when born-again Christians, when Protestants say, I got saved, that we understand what we got saved from. We got saved from our sin, and we got saved from hell. And uh, Jesus did it all for us. He saved me. I did not save myself. Does that make sense? A few years back, someone asked one of the great theologians of our faith, R.C. Sproul's, what one of the greatest difficulties he's found in his study of theologies. And um, he said he could sum it up in one word, hell. And uh, when R.C. Sproul's says that he struggles with the theology of hell, then that leaves room for me to say that I also then, I have questions that I don't understand and I don't have all the answers to, and it makes me feel like I've somewhat, maybe further than what I thought. But it's subjects like this that make even the most mature Christians feel like we've not yet arrived 
uh, and that's a good thing. I want you to press through that and find all of the answers to the ones that you have. And uh, for me, I've had to face some of these things the hard way. I've, I've buried people that I'm very, very close to. And I want to make sure that you understand that in scenarios in facing eternity, it's always important that we don't play God. We don't know anyone's eternal destination, whether they've confessed Christ or they have not confessed Christ. And it's important that we reserve all judgment for the Lord. We'll dive into some of this today. The doctrine of hell is very uncomfortable for most. However, it is the molding and the shaping of our faith, and it's really what brings us to a place where we can say that we have rest and peace. It's really what brings us to a place of praise and gratitude of who Jesus is and why he's overcome so much for us. He's taken the burden of sin and shame and the punishment off of our back. When, if we don't accept the reality of hell, then we won't rightly understand the glory of the gospel. I want you to understand there is a hell. I'm going to, 74% of Americans believe in heaven. That is an astounding percentage. 74% of Americans believe in heaven. But they say only about 4 in 10 of those people believe that those that reject Jesus will spend eternity in hell. I want to make sure that you understand. We are not talking about anything today that is going to be un unreachable or hard to obtain. This is basic Protestant Christian faith teaching today. All I'm doing is putting it in front of us. I do want to encourage you to study anything that I say that you would find truth for yourself as well. But all we're doing is talking about simple faith. Four out of ten people believe that those that reject Jesus will spend eternity in hell. That's a terrible statistic for the six people out of ten that believe in eternity and don't believe that if you reject Jesus, you'll spend an eternity in hell. I'm going to take you guys to a really daunting set of verses found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. And what I found amongst Christianity today is that we prefer certain parts of the scripture, certain passages of the Bible, and discard the ones we don't like. So we like that God is a God of love. We like that God is a God of prosperity. And most of us would like to forsake the rest. But I want you to know that hardship will fall on all of us. And if you only buy into a prosperity gospel, you will be massively confused when hardship strikes your life. And it's all over the Bible. I'm going to take you into a passage here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And he says, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, into a gloomy pits of darkness, where they, I'm going to remember that, in gloomy pits of darkness, where they are being held until the day of judgment. For God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and the seven others in his family. For Noah, who, who warned the world of God's righteous judgment, so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he turned those into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people, but God also rescued Lot out of Sodom. 
because he was a righteous man who was sick of shameful immorality among the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw when he, and, and he heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment for the day of the final judgment. It's crazy, this passage of Scripture. It's almost like I don't want to admit that it's possible. God is a judge. He will have the final judge. And I'm saying this because I know that there is a, a cultish following in the church today that is forsaking a massive amount of the scriptural teaching. And so it's hard when we believe that Jesus, or we believe in heaven, the heaven we read in scripture, and we believe in the Jesus that died for us to get to heaven, but we don't believe in the rest of the things written in the word that taught us of, this, of the origin of these things. I want you to know that God is a judge. And there is a judgment coming. And the scripture calls it a great and a terrible day. And this terrible day will come. And when it comes, it will be awful. And it will be awful for an eternity. We do know this even in the most elementary verses, though. We find this in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of our sin is... For the wages of our sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life. So it's like we know and we believe and we've heard, but we don't want to look at, face, or buy into the reality of that which we really believe. And uh, I think we're going to hear some pretty neat things here. Hell is a real place. That's my first point today is that hell is a real place. I don't know if it's up or down or where its geographic location is, but I know that it is a real place whether or not we believe that, in it, that it exists. You don't have to believe in air to know that it's real. You don't have to believe in Japan to know that it, that it has a location. You don't have to believe in gravity to see it's, it, it, that it's working. And you don't have to believe currently today on earth that the world is round. But it is, and there is a place called hell, and my Savior taught us about it. Jesus said this. He says in, 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 in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. I want to make sure that you understand the theology of what we're saying here is God is not saying that you should be afraid of the devil because the devil will never destroy you. Whom he is saying you should fear here is the Lord. I remember some years ago we did a series about the fear of the Lord in church. We had so much pushback about the fear of the Lord. People were emailing me and some couples actually left our church saying that we shouldn't fear God. And I think that we get to these places of doctrine because we, we stop having relationship with God's word. This is truth. And when we start to believe in ideas about God without actually having relationship with God, this is how he reveals himself to us. Guys, if he's not doing it through his word, I don't know how he's revealing himself to you. But Jesus said, you should fear God. 
And when I think about hell, it makes me realize, oh man, I don't know what I'm getting into yet. You should fear the one who can destroy both the soul and the body. You can put a gun to my head. I remember Johnny Jernigan used to say all the time, they can beat us up, God will heal us. If they kill us, we'll be with God. If they beat us up, God will heal us. If they kill us, we'll be with God. But the one I need to be afraid of is the one who will be there on the other side when I wake up from that bullet. Mm. Hell is a real place. My second point today is, is that hell is a place of judgment. Hell is a place of judgment. In, in numerous parables uh, throughout, throughout the New Testament, Jesus is clearly teaching that, 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 that there will be a final judgment where he separates the righteous from the unrighteous. Now, th- this, is, this is where we call the great throne judgment, the great throne judgment. There's two judgments in heaven. The first one is where God will separate the righteous from the unrighteous. This is a very scary day of the Lord when God separates the sheep from the goats, those that follow him from those that do not. And it's important that we understand that this is not good people versus bad people. I don't know how to draw the line between who is good and who is bad. And I think about how complicated it actually really is. People want to be like, well, how can God send good people to hell? Who is good? All my life, I've been led to believe that Bill Cosby is a good man. And now I don't know whether he is or he is not. All my life, I've been led to believe that Michael Jackson was a good man. He's done great things with his money, done great, built great things for I don't know whether he's a good man or not. And you know, the reality is, is I don't know whether you're a good person or not. There's a lot of people that have been in the church pastors, ministers that have done great things for the Lord and I don't know how to weigh their heart. I let all that up to the Lord because he sees far more than I can. Who he can, he can actually weigh the motives of what's going on and what they're doing behind scenes and what everyone else can say, oh, that's a good person. I know what they deserve. Do you? Hmm. Jesus will talk about throughout scripture, he clearly emphasizes the separation of the righteous from the unrighteous and that the unrighteous will be condemned to a place of blazing fire, of utter darkness. The scripture would talk about fire. He will talk about darkness. He will talk about a pit. He he will talk about the weeping and the gnashing of teeth of, of a sulfur fire. He'll talk about, there's multiple illustrations in all of which this place called hell is not a good place. What we know is in, there is 162 references in the New Testament. In the New Testament, 162 references in the New Testament where they talk about hell. You know that hell is actually talked about more in the New Testament than heaven is? Mostly because it needs to be such a warning. Jesus, out of his own mouth, referenced hell more than 70 times. He talked about the, a, a place of burning of where, 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 the, where, the, where the worm never dies. And the, I mean, it's like he went on and on and on and on to talk about it because it's so important to him this day that he knows that's coming. He's coming to tell everyone, we have to wake up, we have to wake up, we have to wake up. This place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, 
Jesus said it this way. I read it to you last week in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, where he talked about how the sheep and the goats would come before him, and he would say to those that were sheep, you know, I, I came to you, I was hungry, and you fed me, and I was poor, and you clothed me, and I was naked, and you were there for me, and you fed me, and, you, and I was in prison, you visited me, you know, enter into your rest. But to the goats, he said, I, I, I came, and, and you ignored me. And this is what he says to them. He says, he said to those, in verse 41, he said to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It's important that you understand today that hell was not created for people. Hell was prepared and created for the devil and his angels. There was a great war that happened in heaven. I don't know if you're aware of this. The scripture says that about a third of, of all of the angels of heaven fell that day. There was a great war. Lucifer rose up and wanted to steal God's his praise, God's glory, and, and God punished him and banished a third of, God, of, of his angels. And he reserved a place called a pit and the abyss in the Old Testament and in the New Testament he refers to it as. And an abyss is a place of great darkness for him. Actually, in Genesis chapter 1, we know that, that the enemy was already there when God created the earth. The earth was without form and void. It was a great abyss, the scripture says. It was dark. It was almost like, mm, that's, a, that's a place of better theology than me. <clears throat> In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, I have to take you there. I, I'm still talking about that hell is a place of great judgment. For 2 Thessalonians cha chapter 1, verse 9, and they will be punished with everlasting destruction, everlasting destruction, and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I need you to understand something here. As I look about this consequence and this punishment, what I'm reading here in this scenario is that he's saying is that one of the consequences of hell is just being away from God for eternity. Man, that is mind-blowing to me. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, who's one of the great generals of our faith, I want to make sure that you understand, we don't, as Christians, have the right to think up new ideas and say, this is what I believe. You're one of seven billion people on earth. I promise you're not that creative that you can create God. In fact, there was a great teacher years ago that said that any, any, any God that could be understood or any God that could be created is but a shadow of man. We live by what he has, has set in motion, not what we can create of him. Charles Spurgeon, who died in 1892, is one of the great leaders of our faith. He said this, if there were no hell, the loss of heaven would be hell. If there was no hell, the loss of heaven would be hell. And we saw that in 2 Thessalonians when he said, they will be punished with an everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and the power of his might. What if eternity is just being away from goodness? Hell is hell because God is who God is. You know, it's funny. Um, I don't think that we understand quite who God is. Hell is what hell is because God is who God is. What I mean by that is some of us think that 
I believe that hell is really so terrible because it's minus God. Because God is so infinitely glorious. He's so glorious that man cannot contain him. I can show it to you throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture. In Exodus chapter 33, uh, Moses has this encounter with God where he says, God, show me your glory. Let me see your face, oh God. And God speaks to Moses and he says, I can't show you my face. You die, Moses. You can't contain me in your human form. We see this again and again, the, the, the holy of holies. Man can't reside in this place where God purely dwells. In, 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 in um, uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this encounter with God where he sees the throne of God and the train of his robe that fills the temple. And it says just about everyone in scripture and revelations and everyone that has an encounter where they see God, Isaiah falls down on his feet like he's dead and he begins to cry out, oh God, oh God, oh God, please, please, I'm with sin, please don't. He thinks he's going to die because he's standing in front of this glorious Glory, and he's overwhelmed. I don't think that we understand the God that holds sun in his hand. I'm looking at some people. I, I got sunburned this weekend. I'm, I'm, I'm 100 billion light years away from the sun, and I'm, I'm getting hurt by it, and God holds it in his hand. We don't know the power of God. Hell is what hell is because God is who God is, and God and hell are nowhere near each other. Can you imagine an eternity in hell apart from this glorious creature that you get to encounter one time in your life? Ironically, many of us are doing away with the theology of God, or of the theology of hell, because we don't like it, because it doesn't, fit our mold. So what we'll do is we'll take this God of love and minus all the stuff that seems yucky and it's just what our culture is doing. Look, we are a people of love. We are a people now of acceptance. We are a people of embrace. We are a people that don't believe that we should punish or discipline anyone at any time. Man, I remember my teachers back in high school. Teachers would throw me up against a locker. Now, they don't even get yelled at. You know, like, like we don't, we're not allowed to discipline. Everything is just okay and everything is to be embraced. And I want you to know, and that's not true. There is a standard. There is a right and a wrong. And if you don't believe me, commit a crime in front of any police officer. There is still truth. Like there is still right and wrong on this earth, but somehow morally, we think that everything is now just should be embraced. And I just want you to know, I'm not dividing what is sin and what is not sin today. I am simply just telling you, there is a judgment. And it's reserved for someone far greater than me. <clears throat> What's bad about us taking away the justice side of God is if we don't believe in hell, then what, what do we have to say for the young girl that gets raped or molested, or the kids that get molested? Where is... Where is the justice of God now that we've omitted half of the truth? There is a punishment coming for those that do wrong. The problem is, is that we only want to label things wrong when I'm not the doer of it. 
If I'm doing it, it can't be wrong. Says who? Does this make sense? I don't. Hmm. The next thing I think I need you to know is that hell is forever. It's the same verses in Greek that translate eternal punishment and eternal darkness and eternal fire to eternal life. So many of us and all of us believe that there is an eternal life that's coming to us. We're all going to be rewarded with eternity in heaven. But there is this theology now that's wandering around the church. And it's a new theology. That hell maybe will just be seasonal. Where do we see this in scripture? Listen, like I know that like even the Catholic church has bought into this for a long time. Because that's how they got a lot of money for years was that if they can create this place called purgatory where you go for a season, you can pay for your friends that had died so they can go into heaven. You can pay for them and pray for them and the priests would omit their sins eventually and they could go into heaven. I, I just want you to know it's a dangerous, dangerous theology. And I only know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord where we face judgment, heaven eternally, or eternal damnation. And if you find that to be a theory of yours, please don't think it up out of nowhere. Find it in God's truth. Because if it is a truth, God wants to reveal it to you so it's doctrine so that it can be life-giving to others. Our opinion, you know, they say all of us have an opinion. I'll let you do that one for yourself. There you go. Um, So who goes to heaven and hell? Again, the kingdom of heaven, this is in Matthew chapter 13, verses uh, 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. And when the net was full, they dragged it up on shore and sat it down and and sorted out the good fish into crates and threw away the the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth Do you understand all these things? Jesus is trying to say. I love when Jesus says, are you hearing me? Am I making this clear? Am I making this simple? Does anyone have any questions at this point? He's trying to make it as basic as possible. There is a punishment coming. It is going to be an eternal punishment. We have to be ready. We are separating two kinds of people in the day of judgment. There's this passage found in Romans that I want you all to hear because it's a question that I've wondered, that I've heard a lot of other Christians wonder. I became a Christian at the age of 18 where I I didn't hear the gospel until a pastor visited me in a hospital room after I was in a car accident. And I'm standing there and he says, I want to pray with you. I believe God has a plan for your life. And I told him to go to... um, the basement, and, um, and uh, he said he was going to pray for me, and that weekend was the f- first time I had a radical encounter with God after I was in another car accident. And um, 
I always wondered, will people that don't hear know of Jesus, will they be judged? How will they be judged? If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, what about people that don't know Jesus? Romans chapter two, chapter one, verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because it has been made obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. And through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities and his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. This is not my words. This is the scripture. And what he's saying basically is, Tim, before you heard about me when you were 18 years old in a hospital bed, you heard about me. And I had to think back in my life. Oh my gosh. I remember in first grade going to a Baptist convention on a, on a yellow bus. Someone came through the neighborhood and picked me up and I went to a Baptist convention and I heard about Jesus in Sunday school in first grade. Oh my gosh, my grandmother was spirit filled and she would sit on this couch looking out this, at the sky and I thought she was absolutely crazy and she'd speak in tongues and she'd speak in tongues and I'm like, that lady is crazy and she'd say, all I know is Jesus is coming back one day, he's coming back, he's coming back and I never heard it until I'm, until I'm 19 years old and now I'm a Christian and now I remember, oh wait, I know where it came from. My whole life I knew the gospel. My whole life I ignored it. Does this make sense? I don't like hearing this. I understand why C.R. Sproul says, I don't like this. I struggle with this theology. But just because I don't like it, I don't like the fact that God has not made me a millionaire yet. <laughs> I don't like the fact that, you know, uh, I, people aren't robots that work for my command, but turns out that's not gonna change anytime soon yet either. But that Powerball might happen. If I play it sometime in the next couple of years, I, I got to play it, I guess, to win it, right? All right, so here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to finish this up here. Uh, this is the last part. Rachel, would you come? C.S. Lewis said this. I need you guys to hear this as I close the first close. I got two closes today. C.S. Lewis says this. I am willing to believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful rebels to the end. That the doors of hell are locked on the inside. What he's saying is that I am willing to believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful rebels to the end. That the doors of hell are locked on the inside. He's saying people that want to go to hell want it to go there. They want it to be their own Lord. They want it to be their own God. They want it to be in control of their own life. They want it to live a life without God all along. Now, there's a couple books that I would recommend. If you have any questions about eternity, the best book that I have ever read was written just about six years ago by an author named Francis Chan. He wrote a book called Erasing Hell, and it is really difficult to read. It is uh, very, very, very deep, but there is a lot of deep scriptural truths in there. There's another one by C.S. Lewis, who's probably the greatest theologian and thinker of our time. Uh, he died in the early 1900s. Uh, and so um, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce. 
And in the great divorce, it basically is summed up into one thought. And this is the thought. He says, hell, uh, I'm going to read it to you, that, what, what, what I got here. He says, hell is the combination of telling God to get out. Let me, let me read a verse to you real quick. It's Revelations chapter 3, verse 20. Revelations chapter 3, verse 20. Revelations chapter 3, verse 20. And it says this. Behold, this is Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone will open that door, I'll come in and meet with him and him with me. I believe in all of our lives, God has been chasing us down, knocking on the door of our heart our whole life. And he's been saying, will you trust me? Will you let me lead? Will you let me have control? Will you let me, will you let me be God? Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Even right now, the Holy Spirit is, is talking to you. C.S. Lewis said this, hell is the culmination of, of telling God to get out. You keep telling God to leave you alone and finally God says, okay. That's what the Bible de describes as darkness. If God is light, his absence is darkness. On earth we experience light and things like love and friendship and beauty and creation. These things are all remnants of the light of God's presence. But when you tell God you don't want him as the Lord in the center of your life, eventually you will get that wish. And with God, go all of his gifts. And we have two options. We live with God or we live without him. And if we say, I don't want God's authority, I would rather live for myself, well, that'll be hell. And in the great divorce, he basically put it this way. What are you asking God to do? To leave you alone? Alas, I'm afraid that that's what he does in the end. There are only two kinds of people in this world. Those that say to God, thy will be done. Or God that says to them, your will be done. And I believe that God is knocking on the door of our heart. And he's saying, will you let me be God? Or do you want to be God? Will you let me be God? Or do you want to be God? And I, I believe that. What is? Will God send good people to hell? No, I don't believe that. I believe that we choose it. Because we've chose to live a life without him. And I think he spends this lifetime chasing you. you bow your heads and close your eyes behold I stand at the door and knock 